Hey everyone, so this Joe Rogan clip I'm going to respond to first came to my attention while watching a kind of recent Cult of Dusty live show on YouTube. In it, Joe discusses religion with Aaron Rodgers, and Dusty had contrasted it with an older clip of Joe talking about religion from back in 2015, I think. The point he was trying to make, he being Dusty, is that Joe's opinion or attitude towards religion has really shifted over the years, and that his take on religion used to be a lot more quote-unquote based, as uh, Dusty put it. He used to openly criticize religion, including Christianity, pointing out the man-made nature of it, etc. Uh, but I should mention that there were things in that old video where Joe's criticizing Christianity that I took issue with. Some of it might be uh, quote-unquote based, but there were some criticisms that I thought were counterfactual or sounded like regurgitated Dan Brown, Da Vinci Code talking points. Maybe I'll play the old clip too so you can hear it for yourself, and I'll comment as we go. And for context, not that it really matters because they don't really chime in, but I believe the person sitting across from Joe is philosopher slash professor, not sure if he's still teaching or not, Peter Bogosian, uh, but here we go. Oh, but if you go out, Satan is looking out for you. Satan is watching you right now. Satan is just letting the air out of your tires. Like, you go, well, that guy's a fucking idiot. Right. You know, like, we've moved past Satan. Yeah. But we haven't moved past, past God. God. Exactly right. Yeah. So I'm going to pause it already. The point Joe's trying to make is that, as he sees it, mankind has outgrown its superstitious beliefs about the devil. If milk sours or crops fail, we don't blame it on evil spirits. But as he'll get into, he thinks we wrongly still have all these superstitious attitudes or beliefs about God. And once again, this is a younger Joe from almost a decade ago. I disagree with him somewhat regarding his point about the devil. As someone who's been covering religious news stories for a little over a decade now, I can tell you that there are still plenty of believing Christians out there who believe in or warn against the dangers of the occult and witchcraft, and that the devil is always afoot or out to get us. And we still have people like Bob Larson out there performing exorcisms, etc., I can remember going to Sunday school as a kid, and we had this one female Sunday school teacher who told us a story about how her and some friends had supposedly been messing around with a Ouija, is it Ouija or Ouija board, around the holidays, and she claimed the thing suddenly flew around the room on its own volition and ultimately knocked over a Christmas tree before falling to the floor and becoming still again, and she attributed it to, you know, an evil spirit or the devil. And speaking of my childhood, and this was roughly around the same time, I'm old enough to remember being a kid during the so-called satanic panic of the 1980s. People said Dungeons and Dragons was satanic, heavy metal was satanic, anything to do with the New Age movement was satanic, everything was an opening for the demonic and the devil was around every corner. But in fairness to Joe, there's probably still a lot of wishy-washy Christians, cafeteria Catholics, people with a more figurative approach, or spiritual but not religious types, who still like the idea of a higher power, but don't bother worrying about or believing in a literal hell or devil. But let's continue. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Or the idea of God. 
Even the, I mean, if there is some all-knowing entity that is controlling everything and, and is filled with love and has a grand plan for the universe, they have yet to show themselves. So this is all just a concept and an idea with no basis in fact. And as we have found more facts about the nature of reality and the world itself, it seems more and more preposterous with every day. Every day that scientists come up with these new equations that show the, the way the universe could have possibly be, been formed, and that every day that these fucking guys at the CERN laboratory, the, the, the Large Hadron Collider, yeah. are discovering these what were at one time theoretical particles, mm -hmm. showing them to be true and their calculations to be correct. We're, we have a deeper and deeper understanding of the universe. But we think now, we love to think that right now that we're filled with knowledge and we love to look at ourselves now and look at the past as, well, they didn't know back then, but we know now. But if we looked in the past, they would have the same ideas. Exactly. They would look back at those poor monkey people with the bananas, mm. and they'd go, those fucking dummies, they didn't even know houses yet. We will one day look back at 2015, like what a bunch of fools. What a bunch of ridiculous people that were still, they, they had this incredibly complicated society and this wonderful access to information, but yet they were still shackled down by ideology and killing each other over religion and ancient superstitions that, that dictated their behaviors like what a weird time to be in they, they'll look at they'll look at us now in 2015 they'll say what a strange time this this adolescent period of, of, of enlightenment where they're, they're still they're still concentrating on stupid shit and the fucking president of the United States can openly talk about God right. and every and no, and no one goes what is God what are you saying so I actually agree with a lot of what Joe says here or the spirit of it, but I perhaps surprisingly also disagree with some of it. For instance, I don't think that our continued exploration and ever-increasing understanding of the universe and physics somehow disproves God or a higher power, although things like our understanding of the age of the earth, etc., can definitely cause some problems for biblical literalists. And I get how, given that once upon a time, not that long ago perhaps, still for some people, the general thinking seemed to be that the earth was at the center of everything, and that all of this was made for us. When you contrast that with the cold vastness of space, with its countless other planets and galaxies, the fact that our little blue planet revolves around the sun, not vice versa, I get how that could make people rethink our place in the universe. For me, and I think about it a lot, I think it's more evolution rather than cosmology that really gets in the way of my ability to believe in a personal creator god. And don't get me wrong, I've often said on the show that I don't necessarily think that belief in God and belief in evolution are mutually exclusive. If you wanted to, you could even view evolution as the process by which God manifests or unfurls his creation or design. But for me personally, it makes me question God in a couple of ways. Part of it has to do with the problem of suffering, hundreds of millions of years of life feeding on life, titanic reptilian nightmares stalking the earth, 
99% of all the species that have ever lived having gone extinct. And then we arrive on the scene maybe roughly a quarter of a million years ago. The guesstimate seems to vary depending on the expert you're talking to and the latest information. But we probably didn't have it much better. I wonder how many of us died from simple infections or got dragged away by predators. And then there's just the profound, elegant simplicity of evolution. Prior to our awareness of evolution, the assumption probably was that there must be a god. How else do you explain all this complexity? But we know that something as simple as natural selection, given enough time, can result in startling complexity. Evolution can't tell us where life ultimately came from. You know, then you're dealing with abiogenesis. How did organic life initially arise from inorganic matter? But it, evolution, can offer an explanation of how that life became so complex and diverse. And I have to admit, in a sense, I'm torn. On the one hand, I find evolution absolutely fascinating, and I love watching documentaries about the history of life on Earth, etc. I find it inspiring and moving. But on the other hand, to be honest, there is a part of me that wishes I could just believe that it really was all shaped or guided by some divine hand. But I agree with Joe. I think if we don't destroy ourselves first, future generations will look back on us kind of the way we look back at the Roman Empire, a surprisingly advanced yet nevertheless barbaric civilization. In our case, war, well, also the Roman Empire, but factory farming, massive wealth inequality, our impressive electronics, some of which I'm using right now, assembled in factories with suicide nets, at least in the case of Foxconn, and powered by slave labor, or what is essentially slave labor and conflict minerals, although I think some Companies like Apple and Samsung claim not to be using conflict minerals, but, you know, cheap clothing and goods for wealthier nations made in foreign sweatshops, people in the wealthiest nation on earth struggling to pay for health care, etc., and I know that rant might piss someone off, and I know some people might even take issue with me characterizing ancient Rome as barbaric, and I love ancient Roman history, and there were a lot of positive aspects to Roman society, but obviously also a lot of things we would consider barbaric, like gladiatorial games, slavery, death by crucifixion. Not all that different from us when you think about it, except our gladiatorial games usually aren't lethal. Uh, we use foreign slaves labor instead of outright slavery, uh, which we did still use well into the 19th century, and instead of death by crucifixion, we have lethal injection. Progress. But once again, let's continue. Like, what are you saying? Do you think Jesus came back from the dead? What, what do you think? Do you think someone walked on water? Do you believe in a literal translation? Yeah. Are you an Old Testament guy or a New Testament guy? Mm. Well, the New Testament. No, well, the New Testament was made by Constantine, oh. who was a fucking Roman emperor who wasn't even Christian. Mm. He didn't even believe it. He was. He was. He was. He was. He became a Christian on his fucking deathbed. Like, that's when he became a Christian. Like, all these people that are, like, really into the New Testament. Mm. And, like, I'll talk about Old Testament shit, and people get mad at me on all Twitter. Right. They'll send me this fucking hate text. You understand, motherfucker, what the difference is between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because the New Testament is utter horseshit. It's created by a bishop and a fucking emperor. That's a fact. That's, like, established religious fact. Like, everyone knows where it came from. And not only that, it was written hundreds of years after the death of Jesus. 
So what are you talking about? Because if you're talking about the old stuff, you got to go deep. What, go to the Dead Sea Scrolls. Go go to the go to the fucking go to the the most ridiculous aspects of that and tell me you basing your life on that because that's even more preposterous. They found them in clay pots in Qumran, mm. written on animal skins. These people thought the world was flat and the sun was seventeen miles away. And we're gonna, <laughs> we're, they did, they really did. Yeah. And we're gonna we're gonna this is how we're gonna live our lives. Mm. This is it. This is all the facts we need. I too doubt that someone rose from the dead or walked on water two thousand years ago. I wish there was evidence for the supernatural, and I try to remain open to it, but as far as I can tell, it just ain't there. And here's where I'm going to actually defend Christianity a bit. How about that? There were things Joe got factually wrong, and uh, like I alluded to earlier, it sounds like he's regurgitating kind of Dan Brown, Da Vinci Code misinformation. Constantine, who some refer to as the first Christian emperor, did not invent the New Testament. One of the falsehoods or misconceptions found in the Da Vinci Code is the idea that the Bible was put together or what books were going to be included or excluded was decided upon during the First Council of Nicaea in the 4th century, 325 AD or BCE, I believe. But this isn't true. Some of the main goals or aims of the First Council of Nicaea, a convocation of bishops called together by Constantine, were to decide upon a date for Easter and to try to sort out the nature of Jesus and his relationship to the Father. Were they or weren't they equal? Were they or weren't they of the same substance? And also, um, the Nicene Creed, the original version, was formulated, I believe, at the uh, First Council of Nicaea. It wasn't until years after the First Council of Nicaea, in 331, I believe, that Constantine commissioned early church father and historian Eusebius of Caesarea to compile 50 Greek language Bibles, and Eusebius had to make a decision about what books would be in, which books would be out. But these weren't books created by Eusebius and Constantine. It wasn't part of some conspiracy. These are books that had already been around for quite some time and embraced by various Christian communities. Uh, Joe says written centuries after Jesus' death, but the letters of Paul, the earliest books in the New Testament, were written around the middle of the first century, and the oldest of the four canonical Gospels, the Gospel of John, was probably written in between 90 and 110 CE, although some scholars do tend to try to date, or try might be a kind of loaded word, but tend to date the Gospel somewhat later. And as for the exact nature of Constantine's conversion, I believe it's still a matter of some debate. There probably were pragmatic or political reasons why he embraced Christianity, and it's thought he did still embrace paganism to some degree, specifically Sol Invictus, a Roman solar deity, the unconquerable sun, I love that, a, a Roman solar deity sometimes um, equated with Mithras, or quite often equated with Mithras, but it should or Mithra, but should also be noted that his mother, Helena, was an extremely devout Christian, and that could have been a factor as well. As I remember, one biblical scholar um, said in the PBS Frontline special from Jesus to Christ, the first Christians, that Constantine was probably a man of evolving spirituality. 
But yeah, Joe was going pretty hard on Christianity there. Judaism too, I guess, when he started uh, started in on the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now let's listen to present-day Joe. Some sort of belief in the sanctity of love and of truth. And a lot of that comes from religion. A lot of people's moral compass and the guidelines that they've used to follow to live a just and righteous life has come from religion. And unfortunately, a lot of very intelligent people, they dismiss all of the positive aspects of religion because they think that the stories are mere superstitious fairy tales that, you know, they're, they have no place in this modern world and, you know, we're inherently good and your ethics are based on your old moral compass and we all have one. And that's not necessarily true because you see the way people behave in war. They don't have any moral compass. They're yeah. just fucking murderers and killers. And, and they... We've asked people in service of our country to go to these places and behave like murderers and killers and then reintegrate into society. So quite a different tone. And the relationship between religion and morality is something I've given a lot of thought to over the years. And I guess the question is, do we get our morality from religion or does religion get its morality from us? I think I remember the late Christopher Hitchens saying that it's the latter, that religion gets its morality from us. And that's what I tend to think as well, with the caveat that there might be a kind of feedback loop effect where we, meaning mankind, instilled these man-made belief systems we call religions with certain values, and then those values are reinforced or fed back to us via those religions, if that makes sense. I think we're naturally a mixed bag, morally speaking. As an evolved species of social animal, we naturally have both a capacity for tribalism and violence and a capacity for things like empathy, altruism, group solidarity, and cooperation. And that's why, in a sense, I think the Old Testament, for example, is kind of what you might expect to find if a highly evolved species of ape wrote a holy book. Uh, there's bits that are inspirational and promote kindness, brotherly love, and basic societal values. And then there's a lot of tribalistic violence and barbarism and a lot of backward, antiquated, and anachronistic notions and prescriptions. Stuff about how hard you're allowed to beat your slaves or about killing uh, quote-unquote witches or men who lie with other men, taking young girls as spoils of war, etc., etc. In fairness to Joe, religions can be a force for good, uh, despite what I just said. Religious And I knew it sounded like I was really beating up on the Bible. There's actually stuff in the Bible that I like, but I don't think we should just ignore or turn a blind eye to some of the uglier stuff that's in there. But anyway, you know, religions can be a force for good, religious charitable organizations, promoting a sense of community and group solidarity, etc. But also things like uh, the Salem witch trials and the inquisitions, you know, were also fueled by religion. And there's people around the world still suffering from religious persecution. And I know there are studies that suggest religious people are supposedly happier in general, but as someone who is raised Catholic and having heard other people People's stories, I think religion can also breed neuroses, the traumatizing fear of hell, etc. And then, and I know a lot about this, there 
can be the emptiness and despair you feel when you're indoctrinated into a religion, raised to believe literally that there's a God in an afterlife, and then there's the sinking feeling as you learn to think for yourself and realize that it might not necessarily be true. But is religion a force for good or harm? That's often the topic of atheist versus theist debates. But I'll honestly say that at the end of the day, I'm not exactly sure how it comes out in the wash. Does the good outweigh the harm or does the harm outweigh the good? Who knows? Me personally, I'm just more concerned with what's true. Are the supernatural claims a particular religion makes true or not? But to get back on track, he mentions soldiers going off to fight and losing their morality. But often don't soldiers think they're going off to fight in God's name or for quote-unquote God and country? Was gonna say I'm not sure why he brought up soldiers, but I guess it was him trying to demonstrate his point that we lack morality in his view without something like religion to instill it in us. I'd agree, yeah, we do naturally have that propensity for tribalism and violence, that in-group-out-group dynamic that is on horrific display during war. But like I said before, I think we also have a natural capacity for empathy and altruism, which you also see on display in war. There's the hackneyed example of people throwing themselves onto a grenade to protect their comrades, etc. But let's continue right back into society and be a good person again and they don't know how to do it and they go crazy and there's a lot of them a lot of them who come back and they don't they're down is up and up is down they don't know what the fuck and we don't doing. help them out we don't help them out and the suicide rate suicide is the i think is it the number, number one, one killer of veterans pretty sure yeah <sighs> so joe and aaron say suicide don't demonetize me is the number one cause of death among veterans and i take it they mean u.s veterans specifically but that doesn't appear to be the case as serious a problem as it is according to the top result on google it's seventh with heart disease being the number one cause but i think that's probably because they're including all veterans including older veterans according to the va itself suicide definitely getting demonetized is 13th on the list overall but if you narrow it down to post 9-11 vets or vets under 45, it's the second leading cause, so still very serious. There's a lot of vets struggling with PTSD, suicidal ideation, mental health issues, etc. And sadly, I think there's a big mental health crisis in general right now. As someone myself who's long found benefit in talk therapy, since the pandemic, it's been really hard finding a therapist. The system is just inundated with people who are struggling mentally and emotionally, and there's not enough therapists or mental health professionals to go around. That's why you need better Just kidding. No, uh, no ad spots in this podcast. Although I think there is an audible link in the uh, description that no one uses. Yeah, but yeah, it's a fucked up world we live in. We need to, we need Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I think for real. Like if he came back now, it'd be great. Like Jesus, if you're thinking about coming back right now, now's a good time. Yeah, pretty soon. Yeah. Now's a good time. We're kind of fucked. Well, there's a lot of people that think that that might be coming. Well, it might be. Mark of the beast. That might be the aliens. I mean, that might be that might be what all this stuff is. Joe went from Jesus to aliens pretty quick there. I wonder if there were any Christians who got excited for a minute. Sounds like Joe might be ready to accept the Lord. Then a second later, 
could be aliens. But kidding aside, it does seem like Joe's opinion or attitude towards religion has changed, which is understandable, I suppose. There's, what, nine years between the two videos, and people have a right to change their minds. But yeah, he went from really railing against the Bible to, even if it was said half-jokingly, saying he thinks we need Jesus. And then Aaron Rodgers brings up the end times and the mark of the beast, and this reminds me of the satanic panic too. I remember being a kid in the 80s, and everyone was talking about the end times and to beware the coming of the Antichrist and the mark of the beast. And it's funny, I remember when barcodes were new or when they were first becoming widely used, people started saying that the mark of the beast would be a barcode. We'd all have a UPC code on our hands that could be scanned. And it could very well be that in the near future, many of us will have something under our skin that can be used to buy stuff like how you use Apple Pay or simply tap your card at the grocery checkout or even as an alternative form of identification. But when or if that does happen, I doubt it will have anything to do with some supernatural antichrist or the end times. I don't know if it's still a prominent theory among scholars, but one suggestion is that the number of the beast, 666, is a veiled reference to the Roman Emperor Nero, who was known for his brutal persecution of early Christians. The New Testament was written in Greek, but if you spell the name Nero Caesar in Aramaic and add up its numerical value, because similarly to Greek, Aramaic or Hebrew letters also have a corresponding numerical value, you supposedly get the number 666. Nero was already dead at the time Revelation was supposedly written, but it's thought that there might have been a fear that he would return, or that the reference to Nero could have been an indirect reference to the ruling emperor at the time, Domitian, who also persecuted Christians. But the book of Revelation is a very strange text full of surreal, lurid symbolism and imagery, some of which is thought to reference worldly powers and nations contemporary to the author, an enigmatic figure known as John of Patmos, who it's thought could have been confused with the Apostle John. The book was controversial even during its day, and supposedly there was dissent over whether or not it should even be included in the Bible. But one theme of the New Testament is the imminent return of Jesus. His followers thought he was going to return in their lifetime, and it's been 2,000 years now. And every Christian generation since has thought their generation would be the one in which Christ finally returns. And it's funny, when I was a kid, I used to fear the end of the world, but I don't anymore because I realized... Apocalypse or not, each one of us has to eventually face our own personal end. I know it's depressing, but life is short. And to quote The Doors, no one here gets out alive. I remember watching a really good horror documentary years ago called The American Nightmare, and I forget if it was George Romero or Toby Hooper, but it was one of the big horror directors, and they said, and I'm paraphrasing, the apocalypse isn't some event in the future, it's happening right now. The apocalypse is always. Each one of us as a temporary mortal being is experiencing our own personal apocalypse. And of course, in Greek, apocalypse just means to reveal or something to that effect, but it's taken on the meaning or connotation of being a destructive, catastrophic end or event. It might be we reach a certain point where we're so 
unmanageable and so chaotic that something comes down and gives us a guideline. I mean, this is what Moses essentially experienced, supposedly, right? When he came back with his Ten Commandments, this is supposedly what, you know, these people that have had these religious visions, what what have they, what are the, none of the religious visions, like, oh, oh my God, we're fucked. Yeah. All the religious visions were, there's a way to do this. Yeah. There's a guide, there's a, there's a way, a way to follow, and there's a, a, a greater power that's uh, above everything that controls this whole thing and keeps it all together. And there's laws to adhere that will make for a much better life for all humans and all, all life on earth. Yeah, it's hope. Hope is, yeah. a, hope is a memory of the future. Hope is a memory of the future. At first blush, it kind of sounds like what uh, Daniel Dennett would call a deepity. But I think that's a, a paraphrasing or a reference to something that Holocaust survivor and author of the book Night, Elie Wiesel, might have said. Or it might be a quote from a modern philosopher who was referencing Elie Wiesel. But yeah, so Joe went from being skeptical of the bona fides of the New Testament and describing the Old Testament, or at least the Dead Sea Scrolls, as being scrawled on animal skins by primitives, I'm paraphrasing, to referencing Moses receiving the Ten Commandments as if it's something that actually happened. And in fairness, maybe he was referring to the message of the story rather than trying to assert its historicity. I think the scholarly consensus is that Moses is probably a largely mythical figure, possibly based on an echo of a real person that did exist at some point, and that the Exodus story may contain some kernels of a historical event or events, but that the story as described in the Bible doesn't really align neatly with the chronology of ancient Egyptian history or the established historical timeline in general. And I get the need to believe there's some kind of hidden hands at work, wanting to believe there's order, someone, something watching out for us, that it's not all just entropy and death. I get it, but is it actually the case? Or is it just something you choose to believe or try to convince yourself of because it's more comforting than the grim alternative that there might not be anyone, to quote Hunter S. Thompson, what was it, the, uh, the desperate assumption that somebody, or at least some force, is tending that light at the end of the tunnel. And Joe talks about this force, whether it be God or aliens, coming in to give us a sense of order and, uh, you know, a collection of laws or rules. And I'm thinking at this point, shouldn't we already know what we should be doing and shouldn't be doing? We do. It's just a matter of, I don't think we can wait around for aliens or God. We have to try to make a better society for ourselves. We know we shouldn't mistreat people. We know that fairness and equity are virtues. We know that it's destructive and horrific to wage bloody wars. It's a matter of doing and getting our governments to do what we know we already should be doing, which I know is much, much easier said than done. You know, it's mm. it, this shit matters. Yeah. That, you know, it does matter. Yeah. Like everything we do matters. I think if, you know, Atheists, I think, can find their own religion. It might be religion of science or religion of climate change or yeah. whatever it might be. But, but to not believe in a higher power means that really nothing I do matters. Ultimately, I live, I die. That's it. You know. Yeah. So, whatever purpose you might have, it's short lived. It's just for this. There's there's nothing else going on. 
I have a hard time with that because I believe there's a seen world and an unseen world. And there's forces of good and forces of evil. And that there's a purpose for all this. And there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons why we're doing this. There's a lot of opportunities to do this. I'd like to get it right this time around. Yeah. That'd be nice. That'd be nice. (laughs) But if if there is the Christianity part and, and Jesus wants to come back and save everything. It'd be good right around now. Yeah. Like, don't wait till the election. Yeah. <laughs> so there, Aaron Rodgers invokes the old canard about how atheists are religious too, but their religion is science or climate change, as he says. And in a way, to be fair to him, I think I kind of know what he's getting at, probably, that there's some people who are too quick to believe whatever they're told, if it's touted as, quote-unquote, the science. Um, But uh, in fairness to scientists, real scientists would be the first ones to tell you that science doesn't always get it right, and that the scientific process allows for taking in new information and revisiting old assumptions that need to be updated because of said new information, meaning new discoveries, new data or findings. But to me, there's a difference between putting your quote-unquote faith in the scientific method and putting your faith in supernatural faith claims that can't be proven or in some kind of woo because it makes you feel good. And then he goes into how if there's no higher power or afterlife, if it's just this and then we die, then nothing you do really matters. Well, I can relate to that feeling. I've had a number of existential crises in my life, and I've, I've kind of been going through one now, to be honest. And the idea that there might not be anything after this, that we just die and that's it, it is disturbing. And I can empathize or sympathize with anyone wrestling with the idea of their own mortality or who's trying to figure out the meaning of it all. But for me, at least, I still want to know what's true. Just because an idea is disturbing doesn't mean it's not true. And I'd prefer continuing trying to figure out what's actually true rather than just trying to pacify myself with whatever fanciful, super, you know, supernatural or superstitious idea gives me comfort. But yeah, to reiterate, just because the idea that there might not be anything after this is disturbing doesn't mean it's not true. And I'm not trying to be some atheist Grinch. I'm just trying to be as honest with myself and others as possible. And I totally feel you. I really hope there is something after this. I'm just skeptical due to the seeming lack of evidence. But I'll be the first one, you know, dancing in the streets if someone discovers actual proof that there's an afterlife or that consciousness survives death. And in keeping with that theme, Aaron Rodgers also mentions how he believes in a seen and an unseen world. And maybe it's me reading too much into it, but he almost seems to say it with pride. And I remember a long time ago on the show, I mentioned once or twice how it just occurred to me kind of one day or at one point, you know, why is believing or having faith in something for which there's no real evidence considered a virtue? In almost any other area of life, that would be considered a sign of naivety. But you say you believe in a higher power, the God of the Bible and his angels, and somehow it makes you more virtuous. Um, I'm not saying I know for certain that those things, supernatural beings, a higher power, don't exist. And um, once again, I hope there is some spiritual or supernatural dimension to this existence. 
As I said earlier, I'm certainly not opposed, but some evidence might be nice. And I think wanting to know the truth, wanting to know what's factually true, I think that's a virtue. And if there is some higher power, you'd think that they might respect that as well. Glad you actually used that brain I gave you and thought for yourself and took your existence seriously enough to want to know the truth and not just give in to your religious conditioning and, you know, had enough integrity to call bullshit, pardon my language, when you thought it was needed. But I'll get off my soapbox and, man, this episode is taking way longer than I expected. So yeah, I'll move on to final thoughts to accidentally quote Jerry Springer. Why do I think Joe, you know, personally think that Joe Rogan's opinions on religion may have shifted? And and in fairness, I'm going by one clip in which he also mentions aliens. So I don't think Joe has become a Bible-thumping Christian or anything. But I think a, a lot of people have perceived him as moving perhaps further right politically over the last few years. And he seems to want to spend a lot more time talking about social issues like trans stuff, quote-unquote wokeness, Still spends a lot of time talking about vaccines, definitely getting demonetized. Same with Bill Maher. I recently saw that viral clip of him from a fairly recent episode of his podcast, arguing with Seth MacFarlane, that's his name, right? The creator of Family Guy, over COVID vaccines. And Bill gets so heated and resentful and argumentative while discussing the topic. If I was MacFarlane, I would have finished my drink, stood up and said, see you later. The way he becomes so rude or combative with his guests kind of rubs me the wrong way, and I used to really enjoy real time. But I will say, just yesterday, he kind of won me back over a little, a little bit. I watched an interview he did with Chris Robinson from the Black Crows, and he was more chill, and he and Chris Robinson both talked about how uh, they like Jim Morrison and The Doors. I'm a huge Doors fan. Uh, are you listening, Russ Ray? Uh, Russ is a longtime friend and listener, I'm just kidding him, who doesn't like The Doors. But we like a lot of the same punk music and horror movies and stuff. But personally, despite touching on it now, I've chosen to not talk about COVID or vaccines on the show anymore. It's too stressful, too divisive a topic unlike religion. And I'm glad we've reached the point where it's become kind of like the yearly flu shot. If you want it, get it. If you don't, don't. My mother, who passed away recently, was a lung cancer survivor and had COPD. And one of the main reasons I got vaccinated and continued to get the boosters was for her, COVID being a respiratory illness. I don't think I ever could have lived with myself if I had exposed my mother to COVID and that ended up being, you know, the cause of her passing. The weird thing is I work for my brother doing construction or general contracting type work, so we're always in close quarters together. He's uh, he's also been vaccinated, but he's gotten COVID like two or three times now, and I've still never gotten it. Knock on wood, said the skeptic. But to get back to the cause of Joe Rogan's perceived shift to the right or a more conservative or traditional worldview, I've heard it said before that supposedly some people just tend to become more conservative as they get older. And the clip of Joe where he's more questioning or critical of religion was from like nine years ago, once again. Some people have suggested that maybe all the Spotify money has changed him. I have no idea if that's true or not. He was pretty successful even before Spotify. I personally think it definitely, in part at least, has to do with his understandably, to some degree, 
Feeling bitter or resentful for the way he was dragged by the mainstream media during the pandemic? You can hear it in his voice. I've been listening to the Joe Rogan experience for years, and I still listen, granted not as much. But after I saw the clip of his interview with Aaron Rodgers, I went and listened to the whole thing on Spotify for context. If you remember, Joe Rogan got COVID during the pandemic and basically threw the kitchen sink at it. He was taking vitamin drips, I think Z-packs, you know, antibiotics, monoclonal antibodies, which mainstream science and the medical community say do work, um, as well as ivermectin, a medicine with a number of uses. It's used to treat parasitic infections in third world or poorer countries, and it's used in veterinary medicine for the same or similar reasons to deworm or kill parasites in animals. It's also thought to possess some modest antiviral properties. But the mainstream media accused Joe Rogan of taking quote-unquote horse paste because of the drug's widespread use in treating livestock, including horses. And I think even at the time, I said, even if I'm not sure what I think about ivermectin's supposed ability to combat COVID, or perhaps its lack thereof, I still think it was negligent or dishonest of the media at the time to characterize it as horse paste without mentioning the drug's history history and widespread use in humans and in fairness maybe some mainstream media sources you know did handle it more responsibly but I get why Joe is so resentful of the mainstream media in that sense. They tried to paint him as a kook who was eating horse paste. On the other hand, I remember Joe talking as if the ivermectin had helped him. And I was thinking, how the hell do you know? You took like five different things, including monoclonal antibodies, which we know do work. I think Trump was treated with those as well when he had COVID. But how can he be sure the ivermectin did anything? Maybe it did, but how do you know? And I think Joe kind of conflates his distrust or resentment of the mainstream media with what he sees as the quote-unquote woke problem or political correctness. And then he was also rubbing shoulders with the anti-woke intellectual dark web types and people like Ben Shapiro, etc. And I think that's all kind of responsible for the shift in attitude or worldview we've seen with him. What first attracted me to his podcast years ago was how he'd talk about things like psychedelics and consciousness. It's kind of strange for me to hear him talk about politics and social issues so much. I almost feel like he's kind of morphing into an Italian grandpa who should be out back, you know, smoking cigars and playing bocce ball with his friends, complaining about the Utes today. Get Dennis McKenna or Graham Hancock back on <laughs> I might not agree with everything uh, Graham Hancock says, but I really like him and I enjoy his talks with uh, Joe Rogan. But I think that's going to do it for this episode. As always, you guys know the drill. You can like the Facebook page. You can follow me on Twitter or X, even though I'm not on there much. You can check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you're doing that now. If you'd like to support the show monetarily, which is always greatly appreciated, believe me, you can go to patreon.com slash theweekendout and help support what I do here for as little as 99 cents a month. All right, brothers and sisters, until next time. 